you know customers may not fully appreciate the power of chat gpt right? right but a lot of startups could be working on what they can potentially do with chat gpt right? so if you're in touch with the startup world you get a sense of what's happening in that world Hmm. Within no time, we expanded. I remember from zero offices to maybe thirty sales offices, from zero sales people to four hundred sales people, because we figured we had got something right. Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of Chat Masala. Super excited to have with us Hitesh Oberoi, who is the co-promoter, MD, and CEO of InfoEdge, which is responsible for so many household brands that you may know about: Nokri.com, Jeevan Sati, Nine Nine Acres, uh, and many others. Uh, we're going to have a fantastic discussion on tech, entrepreneurship. And some like yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Ritesh. Alrighty, so we'd love to start off. Um, I mean, uh, before IIT and IIM and and all the companies, what were you like uh, as a teenager, and what were some of the activities that uh, shaped you um, and built a lot of the skills that you have today? So Rahul, I was uh, born in a middle class family, grew up in West Delhi. Mm-hmm. Uh, luckily for me, my father got me into one of the best schools in Delhi at that time, St. Columbus. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in school, I got exposed to all kinds of kids. Mm-hmm. You know, there were some very smart kids, some kids who were very good at sports, some who were very good at uh, academics, some who were into music and quizzing and debating. You know, I had we had all types, um, and we also had some kids from. Uh, you know, uh, the economically not so well-off families because this was a Christian missionary school, and you know they had sort of, you know, you know they wanted to sort of encourage these kids as well. So uh, life was very simple in those days. We used to go to school, come back. Uh, you know, I uh, wanted to to do well academically, so I used to study quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, we didn't have too many other things to do uh, at that time. Uh, there was no, there were no computers. There was there was no internet. There was no, there were no video games. Uh, so evenings were mostly. Are uh, these things you would do if you were a teenager now? Of course, I mean, I mean, <laughs> I mean, life today is very different. Mm-hmm. Uh, back then, you know, I remember they were, you, we had the Asian Games in '82 in India, and that's when we got a color TV in our house. '82, mm-hmm. '82, and, okay. and then after that, we got a VCR. So we could mm-hmm. watch, watch what uh, we could High watch tech movies, VCRs, yeah. right? But but evenings were basically spent with friends. So uh, for two hours every day, I would go out in the evenings and play a game uh, of uh, football or cricket and then hang out with friends and chat about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot of work and a lot of fun and with friends and a lot of play. Uh, that's how it was yeah, in those days. No, but I think that's um, very interesting because um, uh, there's a lot of research into unstructured time and that's something yeah, that yeah. kids don't always get um, uh, these days. But perhaps, would you say that um, during those play sessions, you developed a lot of the leadership, teamwork, um, skills that you use today? Is there a connection there perhaps? No, no absolutely. See, because uh, I think one, I used to look forward to that time. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember I used to come home uh, from school, but both my parents were working. Mm-hmm. So I was pretty much on my own. And, you know, I used to look forward to the clock striking five. Mm-hmm. Because that's when I would go out and we would... But you were so self-disciplined. Okay, you would finish your homework and only at five go out? Yeah, well, it used to be hot. Oh, and, okay. you know, and most people, kids would come out at like five o'clock <laughs> in the evening. And that's where we would all get together and, and mm-hmm. play a game and then hang out. Uh, and discuss a variety of things. See, there was no internet. So there was no way of knowing what was happening in the rest uh-huh. of the world. Yeah. We were completely disconnected. We had no idea. You know, of what you the world what was. sort of things you, you discussed on a daily basis? You know, of course. I mean, so uh, 
while playing the the sport, we used mm-hmm. to play. We used to be lots of fights, right? <laughs> you know, and uh, uh, on small small things. And then uh, you know, like I said, it was a middle class sort of colony. Most kids wanted to do well academically. Most of us wanted to become engineers or doctors or whatever mm-hmm. at that time. So we used to discuss how to go about those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and we used to talk about all the new things that were happening around us. Like I said, you know, color TVs were new, VCRs were new. So some of those things we know we saw like video games had just started. Okay. Uh, so every now and then you would get a guy who would get access to a video game. Mm. You know, and then we used to also discuss cricket a lot because the cricket mm. was uh, the big thing in those days. Of course, there was no IPL. There was not, not, but but you know there were very few avenues of entertainment. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, were there ODIs back then or. ODIs are just started. ODIs just started. started. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, but you know, India used to go overseas, and the test matches are very big. Five-day oh. test matches. Now nobody watches them. Eighties. So this was the time of uh, Gavaskar. Yeah, Gavaskar. Okay. Kapil okay. Dev. Eighty-three mm-hmm. uh, is when India won uh, the yes, first yes, World Cup. Exactly. It was a very Got weak team at that time. And I remember India used to go to West Indies to play cricket, mm-hmm. and we used to be glued to our transistors. We used to listen to cricket commentary in our transistors oh, wow. because there was no oh, telecast. Wow. Uh, okay. And then. After a while, you know, when we got color TVs that in our house and the quality of broadcasting improved, and one day, one day, international reduced. Then India used to go to Australia, mm-hmm. and the, the matches were telecast early in the morning, and we would get up at five a.m. in the morning uh, to watch cricket. And see, there wasn't much to do. There was, there was, uh, there was no satellite TV even. Oh, forget about. There was only Doordarshan, <laughs> right? And 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 therefore, and we had one movie on a Sunday evening. Mm-hmm. And two chitrahars during the week, <laughs> and that's all we had for entertainment. And therefore, it was all about going out and meeting friends and spending time with them and playing outdoors. Amazing. Unfortunately, that's not what a lot of kids end up doing nowadays. But mm-hmm. that's how life was. Really. But the lesson is work hard, play hard. Yeah, I think that's there. So then you got to IIT uh, Delhi. How did your passions evolve uh, through yeah. college? What I realized in school was that I was no good at sports. I mean, I was good at sport, but not good enough, right? I was uh, not good enough. With, you well, know, much I, I, better at other things. I, I was better at at you know. I was I was good at math, mm-hmm. right? I was uh, reasonably fascinated by science in my mm-hmm. class ninth grade and tenth grade, and we had some very good teachers who inspired us at that time. And like I said, you know, uh, the whole sort of atmosphere at home and everywhere. Uh, you know, wherever I sort of went was around. Uh, listen, if you want to do well in life, you should become a doctor or you should become an engineer, mm-hmm. and or at you know, worst case, become a chartered accountant. <laughs> right? That's how you know. At least that's how we Maybe were. A lawyer. That's yeah. how we were brainwashed. Got you it. know, in, in some sense at that time, and uh, so, and since I was good at math and science, I figured it was. Uh, IIT, uh, which mm-hmm. I should be aspiring for, yeah. and you know, luckily for me, the the colony I grew up, grew up in, you know, every year we had one kid uh, who would sort of go to IIT from that colony, mm-hmm. and not just go to IIT, we would have one kid in the top hundred mm-hmm. every year, and you know, I got to know those kids, and I sort of uh, I'm just curious, was it self study or did you join one of these um, uh, training centers? So that we have today. So I took the JE in 1990. Right. Mm-hmm. So okay. there were no training centers at that time, oh, but okay. we had uh, uh, correspondence courses available. Mm-hmm. So there were two sort of players who were very famous at that time. There was Agarwal classes, and there mm-hmm. were brilliant uh, tutorials. Mm-hmm. And they had these correspondence sort of. Uh, they, they used to basically teach you. By, I mean, they used to send you material by correspondence. You know, they used to mail the stuff to you, snail mail. Wow. Okay. And uh, physical mail, right? Because like there, was, there was no email. Um, yeah. There were notes and textbooks. Got it. And then you would start, and there were lots of practice questions. 
then you would do those questions and that's how you would prepare for it. But where's the course? They would send you material, no, send but material. would there be any interaction? No interaction. No interaction. Oh, okay. No interaction. Wow. So they would send you tough questions and they would send you some notes mm. and then you were supposed to do those questions and they would send you answer booklets. Got that's it. how we prepared for IIT. Around that time, I took the JE. Mm -hmm. uh, the first physical coaching centers came up. Got it. Okay. Right. Uh, and then they became popular over a period of time. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Already. And what activities did you do in um, both undergrad and um, grad school? And what were your thoughts on your future at that time? And uh, how do you make uh, decisions about uh, uh, your future course of action? So, you know, I made it to IIT. Mm -hmm. I did very well in the JE. I uh, got into computer science, which was uh, supposed to be the sort of you know, the stream to get into those days. Though I was not particularly excited about computer science because I had dabbled in computer, with computers in school mm -hmm. in my class 9 and 10 grade. And while I liked computers, I the idea of, you know, sitting in front of a computer and programming for long hours didn't really appeal to me. But it was, you know, so for some reason, I wanted to sort of, I was a hardware buff. You know, I wanted to sort of mm -hmm. build things, right? But because I got a very good rank, people pushed me to take computer science, which is what I ended up doing. <laughs> and, and, Nothing and, has changed. And IIT. And uh, but I, let me tell you, see, for me, IIT was very hard, actually. I mm. made it to IIT, but uh, it was a tough time. Uh, hmm. I, I took my time settling down. I uh, The computer science sort of, sort of uh, branch is very competitive. Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, you know, and IIT is all about relative grading. Right, mm -hmm. and it was a very competitive place and a very hard place. Mm -hmm. uh, and for the first time, I was staying away from home because I, you know, even though I was luckily I was in Delhi, so I could go home on weekends. Got it. Um, uh, but uh, I had a tough time, so I didn't have to get too much time to think about too many things at IIT uh, because uh, I, I was a little stressed out. And uh, but towards the end, I realized, you know, a lot of the kids in computer science uh, would even at that time went overseas for their masters. Mm -hmm. Right, they used to get scholarships and then go. See, nobody could afford a foreign education. They couldn't afford to pay for it themselves. But you know, but they would get these scholarships in the not so well-known universities. Some of the best ones made it to the best-known universities, but others also made it to some universities overseas. And I realized very, uh, you know, during my four years, or somewhere in the middle, I realized that computer science was not uh, going to be. Uh, but you know. Um, you couldn't change your stream at IIT. Mm -hmm. You had to, because I had chosen computer science, I had to major in computer science. Mm -hmm. uh, there weren't too many options. And so I graduated in computer science, but towards the end of, um, uh, you know, I, I decided to sort of pursue a career in management. And then I took the CAT and then I made Did you go straight IIT. from IIT to yes, IIT? straight oh. to IIT, from IIT. To, and, you know, back in those days, there weren't too many opportunities actually, mm -hmm. also in India. So India was just opening up, this is 94. Uh, TCS and Wipro had just started hiring. Indian IT services companies are beginning to happen. So most kids who graduated from IIT either, even at that time, they either went overseas or they did an MBA or they appeared for civil services. Did you consider going abroad and if so, why did you decide to? I, I did. I did consider going abroad for a while, uh, but I decided against it because of two reasons. One, you know, I just felt I should be in India. Right, hmm. and two, I, like I said, I didn't see myself pursuing all your heart, intuition. Yeah, you know, I, and I didn't see myself pursuing a career in computer science, right? Gotcha. And so it was not the done thing to get into management courses overseas at that time because I think that required you to have some experience and you know oh, okay. work experience. So nobody used to apply for a management program overseas. People used Got to apply it. for a Got master's it. in computer science. So I didn't want to pursue that, and I wanted to stay in India. 
and then I heard about, and then I came across a few people who, you know, a bunch of people, like I said, in their fourth year at IIT, used to start preparing for uh, IIM and CAT, and <laughs> so I said, maybe this is what I want to do here. Maybe that's what I meant for. The other thing which helped, and we made up my mind, and actually, uh, you know, the IITs had a great system even back then. You know, it even at uh, even back then at IIT, it was mandatory for you to do at least for everyone to do at least four courses in humanities. Oh wow! Right? Okay. And because because I decided at one point at, at some point in time not to pursue engineering as a career, I did eight of them or four of them, <laughs> right? The and, liberal and, arts. And when okay. I, yes, and, and, I, and when I did those Do you courses, remember which yeah, courses they I remember, were? I remember, I remember. Okay. So oh. I did a couple of courses in economics, I did a mm-hmm. course in psychology, I did a course in English, uh-huh. I did a course in accounting. So because of those courses, I got exposed to some facets of management. Okay. And that's why I decided maybe this is what I meant for. This is what I should be doing. Achha. So that's how okay. I switched. So I think the lesson is yeah. um, kind of really explore different uh, domains because you never know what um, resonates uh, with you. Yeah. Okay, so you, you found that. Um, kind of moving into your uh, professional life, when you were just at the cusp of um, entering the real world, um, how did you how do you make decisions regarding, uh, did you think about which industry would um, really take off or um, did you think more about the brand name of the, uh, of the organization? Uh, how did things play out for you? See, again, I want to remind everyone who's watching this that this was the 90s. So there was no internet. <laughs> we had no access to what we have, but completely uninformed about what was happening in the world. Mm-hmm. So when I went to IAM, it was a very standard system. You had a placement week after you finished your course mm-hmm. and you had companies coming mm-hmm. to hire kids and you had day zero companies, day one companies, day two companies and the best kids, you know, wanted to get hired by a day one company, day zero company or a day one company because those companies would pay the most, mm-hmm. right? So all, but I think the choice people used to make in their head was whether they wanted to be in finance or marketing or consulting. Mm-hmm. You know, consulting was just starting. Uh, as a career option. But finance was established? Uh, finance was uh, reasonably well established, but more corporate finance and you know the banking kind of jobs, not so much Got investment it. banking. Mm-hmm. Uh, marketing was very big in those days. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the big companies on campus, the, the, the most admired companies on campus were the big banks, you mm-hmm. know, the MNC banks at that time, because mm-hmm. Indian banks were not so big. Mm-hmm. Uh, and companies like Hindustan Lever and PNG and the likes, mm-hmm. Colgate Palmolive, you know, these kind of companies. Mm-hmm. City Bank of the World, the American Express Bank, uh, the Bank of America. McKinsey had just started hiring at mm-hmm. that time. Uh, so, so these are the companies you went for, yeah. And then after a while, you figure things out. That's how it was in those days. Understood. Um, cutting to maybe today, um, you know, I, I think one thing that uh, a lot of people find so interesting about you is that, um, you know, you're able to manage across so many diverse industries. I mean, you have Nokri, you have Jivansati, um, uh, very different brands, um, uh, different objectives. How do you kind of juggle those professional uh, obligations. How do you context uh, switch? I know that's something that a lot of young people between the various businesses uh, or between yeah, if we or if you want to uh-huh. talk about both professional and um, personal, because this is something a lot of young people struggle with. You know, uh-huh. work life harmony. Uh, you've got you're pulled in so many different directions. You got your academics, extracurriculars. So yeah, can you yeah, give us yeah. some time management, work <laughs> management, yarn? Um, so listen, see that we can act on. Yeah, yeah. You see, all of us are juggling many balls at the same time. You know, <laughs> so it's work, family, 
friend health you know health is something which uh, uh, you know uh, yeah, i realized very late on but yeah. i mean and of course now kids have uh, a lot of issues but uh, uh, but you know in my 40s for ex- uh, my early 40s my health started failing me so okay. i used to get I, i my asthma came back which i used to have asthma as a kid then it disappeared then it came back i had a lot of back issues uh, you know maybe a lot of the hard work we had to put in the early days of nokri <laughs> sort of led to all this and um, so you know so you are constantly juggling these balls and it's a little tricky because you don't realize when you could drop one and you can you, you can drop one of these mm-hmm. balls at any point in time so i think the first thing to sort of which people uh, which everybody should understand uh, or maybe is people should be aware right that these are the balls you're juggling right mm-hmm. and uh, and if you are not careful you can drop one of these balls mm-hmm. and before you realize it could be too late so i think awareness is very is very very important mm-hmm. uh then uh you know and and there are and there could be times when you know something becomes more important like mm-hmm. uh uh like in the early days of nokri work was very very important right because we were building something from scratch it was not easy uh i was lucky to have a lot of support at home uh and then as uh, with time then you realize, like like i said in my 40, early 40s that my health became more important because i was starting to lose my health mm. so it's important to be aware of these things uh uh it's very hard to do justice to all of them at the same time at the same okay right but i think one has to sort of if one is conscious and one is mindful and one's aware then one gets to know before it's too late that things are not right. going as planned i think that's helpful because then yeah I think the way we sometimes think is okay. Mm, need to think about all five things at once. But you're saying that okay, maybe in this stage of my life, this yeah. is more important. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. give more time and energy yeah. here, yeah. and then maybe make up for it yes. Um, yes. Uh, a little bit later. Got it. Got it. It's very uh, sounds uh, great, but it's not as if you can say okay, twenty percent of my time to this, and twenty percent of my time to this, and twenty percent of my time. It's like at work also. You mentioned the businesses we are in. There are times when I have to spend a lot of time on a business which may be struggling at that time, mm-hmm. and that requires a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. And then once you fix things, you move on and you do something else, and then you come back to it only if it's you're required, sort of, right? So, so it's a bit of. Uh, it's not as if okay, since I'm running five businesses, twenty percent of the time to this business, twenty percent of the time to this business. So I don't operate like that. Um, uh, I don't find that very effective. Uh, but what's your escalation matrix? So you've got five different businesses. Yeah, yeah. When, how do you decide? Okay, there's an issue. Uh, I'm going to delegate this, or mm. this will probably resolve itself. Or you know what? I need to get involved. Um, how do you know when that point is that you need to dedicate your own time and effort? Yeah. So. So you have to be focused on the bigger picture, right? Mm. You have to have a the bigger goal in mind all the time. On which you know, this is where we are headed. This is what this is, these are the two or three things we need to get right. And uh, as long as things are moving in the right direction, it's okay, right? It's okay if it takes three more months. It's it's okay if it moves sideways for a while. But as long as you're moving in the right direction, it's fine. And you would want to. Delegate more and more so that your time gets released to do more things, mm-hmm. and and you feel sort of constant. Yeah, and, and you know there's a trade-off here because you know sometimes you feel that if I do it, I can do it faster. If I do it myself, but if I have to hire people, then I have to first train them, and then they have to come up to speed and so on. But as long as you know you things are moving in the right direction, you you let it be, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you should be able to pick up the signals when things are going south quickly. 
So you have to sort of be aware of that. Uh, so how do you, for example, in our business, like during COVID, you know, mm-hmm. uh, for two years, we were not at the workplace. Mm-hmm. And in, uh, you know, we were not in the market also. We didn't know what was happening, right? And uh, people were operating from home. It's very easy to miss uh, a few things uh, mm-hmm. when that happens, uh, when something like that happens, mm-hmm. right? Uh, your competition may move ahead and you may not even get to know, mm-hmm. right? You may, uh, because you're not in the market, you're not looking at data, you're not meeting customers, you're not talking to people. Right. So I think it's important that you are, you know, you're always, your antenna is always up. Right. Got it. Got you know, you have a bigger understanding of what's happening on the ground, in the market. You get a sense, have a sense of the big picture. And if things start going south, you should get to know early. And you get to know early by having your finger on the pulse and talking to customers. What are some other yeah. channels uh, you've uh, established to pick up some of these early warning signs. Yeah. So we are a large company now, we have 5,000 mm. people. So we have a big HR department. Mm. So uh, that's a very important function to invest in. You know, they are my eyes and ears in many ways because they work with all the people in the company. So if something going wrong in the company, you get to know through the HR team. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also do surveys from time to time to understand if things okay inside the company. Uh, then in the market, you have to, like mm-hmm. I said, you have to be in the market. You have to constantly be, mm-hmm. so for example, how do you get a sense of what's happening in the market? One, if you're meeting customers, you get to know, mm-hmm. right? Some of our best ideas have come from customers, mm-hmm. right? Uh, uh, you uh, sort of, you know, we have a, a, a small m and team. So mm-hmm. we are constantly meeting startups so that we can invest in them or acquire them. So when you meet startups, you know what's happening, right? Mm-hmm. Because they could be working on something new and disruptive, which customers may not even understand, mm-hmm. right? But, you know, the startup guys know. Because mm-hmm. like, for example, chat GPT today, mm-hmm. right? You know, customers may not fully appreciate the power of chat GPT, yeah. right? But a lot of startups could be working on what they can potentially do with chat GPT. Right? So if you're in touch with the startup world, you get a sense of what's happening in that world. Got right? it. So stuff like this. So you, you know, you have to be like, you have to have your eyes and ears open. Understood, understood. So even within the organization, uh, with customers, but also startups and um, others in the space. Lovely. Um, Bring it to young people. So if um, uh, I know there are a lot of young people uh, who are looking to start their own companies, uh, they want to join the startup world, uh, they've got um, their own dynamic ideas. Um, What would be some advice you would give to a 22, 25 year old who, who really wants to build something that lasts as you have? So I, I always tell people three or four things. See, one is uh, there's a, a lot of people want to start companies and do stuff, but very few end up actually doing, you know, mm-hmm. because there's a very big uh, step between sort of, you know, a lot of people want to do stuff. They have ideas and they have lots of ideas, but they never take the first step. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's a very hard thing to do. Uh, and um, so my advice to people who want to start companies is first start. <laughs> you know, that's because most people don't end up doing that. Mm. Right? Of course, you may want to get some experience behind your belt. You may, you know, you may want to you may want to start at the right time. You want to start when you have a good idea. Mm. Right? You don't start without an idea. Right? Mm-hmm. So yes, you all those things are important, but you have to start. Mm. Right? Then the other thing I tell people is that you have to understand that it takes time. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you think you're going to be sort of, you know, you because you have a great idea, you'll end up building a company in, in a couple of years and mm-hmm. you'll become rich and famous. That's not going to happen. Right. That happens to maybe one in a million people. <laughs> when you started now, um, 
what was how much time transpired between your starting Naukri? You mentioned that you know the early uh, years were tough. Uh, so starting and really having that validation from the market, like, oh, this is going to be big. How many years transpired for you? So actually, you know, when we started, see, mm. the world was very different. Like I said, even when we started, the startup mm. world was also very different. There was not enough funding available. Nobody was mm. doing startups. So we just wanted to build a small business. We were not thinking of building a unicorn at mm. that time. You know, and when we wrote our first business plan for ICSA Ventures, we were doing 3 lakhs a month at that time and we said we'll do 20 crores in 5 years. And mm. they were like, this is not aggressive <laughs> enough. And we said, listen, even this is going to be very hard for us to do because this sounds like a lot and we can't mm. see how we're going to get there. Right? And if we get there, we think it'll be a great achievement. Mm. So we were not out there to build a unicorn. We were not out there to sort of a large, build a large company. We wanted to sort of just sort of be a, build a small profitable business so that we don't so that we didn't have to go back to working, you know, for, for another company. That that was our goal and that was our objective at that limited objective at that time. This is so interesting because like what you hear from uh, from a lot of uh, coaches and uh, gurus um, online is okay. Yeah, think big, you know, um, uh, you know, imagine uh, the unicorn, the decacorn. But you're saying just re really focus on yeah. year by year, making things profitable building a, so uh, a sound foundation and then things and absolutely and I've seen so many companies uh, and so many good ideas uh, you know I, 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 I've seen so many accidents happen because companies were just too aggressive and they became aggressive because there was easy money available and but isn't aggression important or like you know that how do you draw the line between aggression like good aggression Aggression, I don't know what you would call it, maybe, um, you know, dynamism yeah. um, and and impatient aggression. Do you have any... So, dynamism is great, right? So, you know, when once we figured out the right model for ourselves, mm -hmm. we were very aggressive in the field, right? In the early years of Nokri also, once we got our product market fit right, once we figured that we had the right formula, mm. within no time we expanded, I remember, from zero offices to maybe 30 sales offices, from zero salespeople to 400 salespeople, because we figured we had got something right. But we did it the right way. Right? Mm. Uh, I see too many companies starting too many businesses without building a strong foundation, without building a strong core. So if your core business is profitable, doing well, growing, mm. you're a leader, you know, you built a brand, and then you get into other areas, it's fine. Right. Mm. But without getting your core right, if you because you have access to capital, because you know, you have resources, mm. you start doing too many things and, and you know, mm -hmm. and just to build a valuation uh, is not a great idea. And I've seen many accidents happen when people think like that. I think this is a yeah. this is great advice, not just for startup founders, but for any individual. Like you have to really think about what is your your personal or human brand. Yeah. You know what um, what can you do better than anyone else? Yeah. Um, what's yeah. your core competency, and not spread yourself too thin. Uh, yeah. Essentially, yeah. lovely. Um, kind of, uh, we're talking a lot about um, the professional angle. Um, what about the personal? Uh, uh, maybe um, right now, how do you structure your day from the time you wake up to the time you um, you fall asleep? Um, and how do you optimize and maximize your output in all spheres of life? So firstly, I don't think about maximizing output. Okay. Okay. And so, thus you do. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, so you know, after I, I got that health scare, I started focusing on my health. And as a result of that, I started getting up early in the morning. So for the last few years, I 
end up I get up I mean I become an early riser now. how early so Five, six. I, you know sometimes I get up at 4 a.m. also oh my god but I'm usually a common usually, that's coming so up I, I'm usually up by, wake up early yes. yeah so, but I'm usually up by 5.36 right okay wow. and it's also a good time because uh, nobody else is up in the house at that time and I get a lot done in those one or two hours but what, what do you morning. what do you do in these early morning yeah, hours so you know I first prepare myself a good cup of tea mm-hmm. I love drinking tea and then I usually get onto my WhatsApp and email and you know some work related stuff mm-hmm. I spend an hour uh, I send out some emails mostly the long ones in the morning mm. <laughs> right and uh, and I'm done with all this by maybe 6 6 30 and then I um, sort of Nowadays, I, uh, I I I play tennis, so it's something I picked up in the last few months. So, like five thirty to six thirty, you do these emails, and then I do my emails. Okay. And then around six thirty, I sort of go for a game of tennis. Six thirty seven, or if not tennis, I go for a run, mm-hmm. um, uh, or do some sort of some or work out at home. Mm-hmm. So an hour of stuff like this, whenever possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and. Uh, yeah, and then after that, uh, you know, the morning paper and stuff like that. I am normally at work by 9, 9.30 in the mm. morning. And uh, at work, it is a lot of meetings. And, mm. you know, now nowadays, because we have a lot of people, we have management, we've hired a lot of good people, bright people, people who are brighter than me. Who are brighter than me. I, I keep telling myself that if, you know, I was to appear for an interview in the today, <laughs> I may not get out of it. You know, so we've hired such. Uh, so, so, so at work, it's a lot of meetings. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, internal meetings, sometimes uh, external meetings, mm-hmm. uh, board meetings, uh, stuff like that. Uh, I'm also involved in a couple of philanthropic initiatives. Oh, lovely. So, uh, you know, I'm one of the founders and trustees of Ashoka University. I'm a founder and trustee of the, a new university we're selling in Mohali called Plaksha University. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I spent some time on, on Plaksha nowadays because it's oh, new and upcoming. Uh, uh, so so that takes up some time uh, mm-hmm. during the week and then once I get back home after uh, from work which is normally quite early so it's not as if I work 80 hour weeks right it's, I'm back by 6.37 then it's what time with at home of course uh, people at home don't agree they think I'm on the phone even after I get back from work but it's mostly I like to believe that it's, it's your time I spend with the family mm-hmm. weekends are mostly chilled out especially Sundays Mm-hmm. Uh, Saturdays, I may still have a, one or two external meetings, uh, but that's how it is. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. I understood. Yeah. Understood. Um, looking back at uh, the past uh, thirty years or so, uh, what would you say are perhaps the three most significant decisions you've made? We touched touched upon some of them. One, see the career decision, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, education, uh, what sort of uh, business to be in you know you know I decided to sort of do a startup early on and hmm. I think it just changed the trajectory I mean it could have gone wrong how did you a big decision, build the right? courage to take that leap <laughs> so, it's a long story so <laughs> I used to I after my uh, uh, I am I went to work for Hindustan Lever and I was there for three years three and a half years and uh, and around that time one you know this internet boom was beginning to sort of mm. you know uh, you know, happen and uh, a lot of companies went public in the US and there was some action in India also mm-hmm. and uh, I had not heard of venture capital till then and there was no venture capital in India till 1999 right mm-hmm. and um, suddenly and I wanted to sort of uh, but you know I was an engineer I had done engineering so somewhere there, there was this thing at the back of my mind that maybe I should be doing something more high tech than mm-hmm. what I do right now 
Yeah, and doing at Hindustan, uh, so Hindustan is a consumer goods company. Huh. So I was selling ice cream, yeah. Okay. You know, so at that time, it, it, it was a complex business. I learned a lot. <laughs> and because, see, uh, it, it perhaps gave me the courage to branch out also because, you know, Hindustan was a large company, but the ice cream division was a small division. Hmm. And, you know, they had basically acquired a lot of uh, brands in India. Hmm. And uh, the ice cream supply chain was very different from what Hindustan Lever did. And people in ice cream were left to sort of work out things for themselves. Gotcha. Right? So, it was not a large company culture inside ice cream. It was a very small startup-ish sort so of So, in a sense, you got some of those startup skills. Yeah. So, I, you know, you know and, I, and, and I remember because we had acquired a lot of brands, huh. I uh, used to meet a lot of people who used to own those brands. So, entrepreneurs, etc. Right, mm-hmm. like we acquired quality. Quality was a big Indian brand. Mm-hmm. So the people who build quality, I used to interact with them as okay. a part of my job because they still control the manufacturing. Uh-huh. So you know, some of those things. I met a few interesting people. I was back in Delhi. I was looking to do something more high tech, and then I met uh, uh, an internet entrepreneur at that time who was doing a company. Who was and and you know uh, back then. And I got an offer from him, job offer from him. Mm-hmm. And uh, then that got me thinking. And then I met Sanjeev, my current partner. And he was sort of, you know, dabbling in the internet space. He was working part-time at a newspaper, also doing this on the side. Mm-hmm. So we decided to start a, an internet venture together. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I don't know, see, this is how sometimes things work. I mean, all this was happening by the, uh, around mid-99. By late 99, there was an internet boom in India. Right, yeah. because there was a dot com boom in the US, and suddenly venture capital became available, and companies started chasing us to investments. Oh man! Right, the timing was the perfect. timing was perfect, and I had uh, I quit my job, and uh, we finally in February two thousand we decided to raise money. Mm-hmm. March two thousand decided to raise money, and we raised money in May two thousand, and by June the boom was over. There was a big bust in the US. All funding dried up. No company was I think funded in India for the next few years. That's how bad it was. It was a funding winter for a long funding winter. So it's just one of those things. Yeah, I mean, it's so so this decision, you know, worked out for me. It was a big decision uh, at that time. Marriage, I think, was the second big thing, mm. okay, or, or another big one. Because see, uh, I got married to somebody I met in Hindustan Lever. Maybe. And around the time I was doing this startup, so mm-hmm. I quit my job and got married at the same time, <laughs> right? <laughs> and uh, luckily, that has also worked out. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me and and um, and I think a third thing which around which also happened at the same time was my decision to move back to Delhi because when I was in Hindustan Lever for a you while were in Mumbai yeah. yeah I was in Mumbai okay. for some time I was in Bangalore hmm. for some time and then I was like maybe I need to go back to Delhi and because I was in Delhi and I was at home uh, hmm. with my parents uh, it was just easier yeah it was just easier so this decision to stay back in Delhi to stay back in India was also I think also played a big role because if I was I had been on my own in Bombay where it was actually very hard mm. so I worked in Bombay it was very hard to work in Bombay for me mm. because I had to travel by train you know three four hours a day in the train and you know then you have to go home and make your own arrangements and everything mm. right so I think I think these three things so where you work uh, the city you end up working in mm. okay uh, who you marry and uh, what career you choose mm-hmm. I think Matter. Wait, I'm just thinking that kind of lines up with your businesses, Nokris, Jeevan Sahib, whom you marry. <laughs> there's no connection, but okay. there's no connection. But these are the important things in life, you know. But, right. You know. So, so I keep telling people inside the company also. And education, Shiksha. Okay. Yeah. So the categories we are in as mm-hmm. businesses are very high involvement categories, right? So which course you decide to pursue, which which college you go to, can make a big difference. 
Mm. And therefore, we try and give people all the information so to help them make a better decision. Where you end up working can make a huge difference. Right? Your mm. first job, your first boss, keep a huge impression on you. What do you think young people should keep in mind in terms of their first job? What should they do in order to um, gain the skills you think uh, will be critical in the upcoming decades. Uh, so no, I've become a big believer in this whole uh, in this ikigai principle. I don't know if oh, you, might, you may have read about. Yes, right. So I, I, I did not believe. I mean, now I believe at least that it is very important for people to do stuff they're good at mm-hmm. and to do stuff they like doing, because otherwise it's very hard to sustain for a mm-hmm. long time and you know life is a marathon it, like I said nothing gets built in 2 or 3 years even, mm-hmm. a, even a, if you're in a regular job it takes 10 years to get somewhere mm-hmm. right uh, so if you can't, if you don't like what you do and if you're not good at it you will not get too far right mm-hmm. one reason why I think I gave up computer science because I saw so many people around me who were better than me and I was like maybe I'll, I'll never be as good as them mm-hmm. right uh, I think that and I think uh, so 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 if you excited about what you do if you're passionate about what you do if you want to learn more and more about what you do because that excites you you'll go far mm. so that's the one thing I think the other thing which people need to keep in mind is they need to uh, be where the future is mm. going to be, not where it was right so and I think we got lucky because we bet on the internet mm. and if we had worked with the same kind of passion in the textile industry for example mm. I don't think we would have gotten anywhere in life Right, because we were in the right place at the right time, internet was beginning to happen. We jumped on which is part of the Ikigai framework. That's circle three. You know what? What? Yeah, makes money now and makes money, but makes money. You know, you can make money in many places. Huh. But I think it's important to bet on what is going to be. I mean, I can say this with hindsight, with the mm-hmm. benefit of hindsight. What is going to be? So today, you know, you would rather join an electric vehicle company than a regular automotive manufacturer you know what mm. I mean because maybe that's where the future is right so Got you it. would rather work in in solar energy or nuclear energy than in fossil fuel mm. right? that's where the future is likely to be you would I rather understand. work on the digital yeah and you know than in sort of reminds me of this quote by um, the best ice hockey player Wayne Gretzky and um, you know he won so many championships and people asked him you know what's your secret yeah. and he says I escaped to where the puck will be not exactly. where the puck is exactly. right now. Exactly. We always had that anticipation. Where is yes. it going to be? Yes. And now I think there's a lot of information available, mm. right? Which was not available back then. You know, there are, I mean, of course, there's a lot of noise also. And mm. you'll be able to pick up the signals, mm. right? But uh, it's very easy to get confused. But um, I think in general, you have to acquire the skills of the future and you have to try and be where the world is going to be a few years from now. Got it. Got it. Any other advice you would give to, or maybe another way to, ask is um, what is it that you know now that you wish you knew when you were 20 so <laughs> and not just on a professional level but even in terms of uh, beliefs and values you've cultivated that that you think more young people should imbibe so see when I was 20 uh, I had a very limited view of the world mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you know and I think a lot of youngsters even today feel that if they're not doing well at whatever they're doing right now, they don't have a future. I don't mm-hmm. think that's true, right? I think the world will give you many opportunities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if you're not doing well at something today, it doesn't mean that's the end of the road. Uh, you know, it's a rapidly changing world. There are, you know, many more opportunities than ever earlier. So I don't think people should get disheartened and disillusioned if they're not doing well 
at this point in time, right? Mm. Any problem? You may have taken a wrong call. You may like I was in the wrong course. Right? <laughs> That's what I think, at least, right? Mm. Then I got it right. Things changed, mm. right? So, I think that something people should understand that you know there will be many opportunities. Mm. Uh, so don't get too don't get too stressed. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's something that has yeah. kept coming up. Yeah, and and, and grades matter, uh, but <laughs> it's not as as if they they are the only thing that matter. Mm-hmm. Right. So right. so many other things matter as well. And you what know, are some of those other things? So, for example, you know, I'm very fond of telling people this that the technical skills may get you a job, mm. but they won't get you promoted. So, unless and until you acquire the softer skills required to succeed in life, mm-hmm. you know, you won't do well in life, mm. right? Uh, so, I, for example, am a big believer in integrity. So, mm. you should honor your commitments. You know, you should um, sincere about what you do. You should uh, keep your promises. You should, you know, build relationships, mm. build partnerships. Uh, these things matter, right? You you know you need to have uh, good people skills, right, to succeed right. in life. You know, so uh, so unless and until you invest in sort of acquiring these softer skills as well, after a while you can hit a ceiling. Right. Okay. I think that's really helpful. So um, moving on to the rapid fire, we love doing this. Um, uh, what's one value? you hold really dear? I know you mentioned integrity. Anything else you would say? Uh, hard work. Hmm. Uh, I, I, I do believe that, and I've seen it also many times, that uh, hard work beats talent if talent does not work hard. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, so, I think it's, you know, you may be very good, you may be very smart, you may be very bright, but you still have to work hard. Got it. Huh? Got it. Lovely. Um, what's um, one business you wish you had invested in earlier? You know, I had the opportunity to an opportunity to buy more Infoet stock early on because <laughs> there were some founders that uh, you know early mm-hmm. guys who wanted to exit. But I didn't have money at that time, and I wasn't I wasn't even sure of how the company would do. So I passed, and I know somebody who bought, and he's done really well for himself. <laughs> well, you, you, you've done great too. Okay, uh, excellence is blank. So excellence is is hard. It's rare. Oh, uh, it's uh, undervalued. Undervalued. Why undervalued. Is it that? Uh, see, Google was not the first search engine, mm-hmm. right? But they were the best. Many people sort of feel, at least even in the startup world, that if you're early, if you're first, you make it, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but time and again, I've seen that um, people who do who do a better job make it in the in the long run. I mean, so even Facebook was not the first uh, social networking platform. Mm. Apple was not the first phone company, right? But they were just, uh, they were just too good at whatever they did. They were brilliant. They were excellent. Got it. And this uh, goes back to your point about patience, right? Like, and it takes time uh, to build something. Yeah, I, I think it, one, it takes time. Two, I think. It's also whether you believe in it or not. Uh, see, and, and I'm not saying it should be the strategy every time, right? Mm. Because often I see myself telling people at work also, listen, let's follow the 80-20 principle, right? Let's, you know, 20% of the effort will get you 80% of the result, mm. which works up to a point. But if you really want to become great, you know, then you have to get the remaining 20% as well. Mm-hmm. Which, which, you, is, which, is hard, you know? which is hard, which is hard. But how do you know when, okay, we got to get this done. Yeah. Now, is it that 80-20 or is it that 99-1? How do you so, differentiate between so, the so two? So I think I think if you don't have competition, mm-hmm. then you can get away with eighty twenty. <laughs> okay, but if if it's a competitive space, it's not enough. Got it. Got it. And after a while, you have competition. 
<laughs> yeah, so you can yeah. keep up with, uh, yeah. I mean, 80-20 yeah. will last you. 80-20 so. will sort of get you ahead, will get you, give you time mm-hmm. to sort of get other things right. But after a while, you'll you got up your game. <laughs> yeah. Understood, yeah. understood. Lovely. Um, what's, um, what is the most used app on your phone? WhatsApp. WhatsApp. After that, anything else? Twitter. Twitter. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And uh, finally, we love to end with this one. What's one change you would love to see in 2035, like about a decade from now, either in the world or in India specifically? <laughs> we lots of things, but you ask for one. Um, so I'll be a little selfish here. I would like to see more livable cities. Mm. And I think this... Uh, and on many dimensions. I mean, there's. I think there's too much social tension. There's a lot of inequity. There's a lot of, uh, I mean, uh, traffic pollution. Mm. A lot of things going wrong with our with our cities in India, at least. And I think India is going to urbanize more and more with time. So it's about time we fix all those issues, these issues. Wow. Hope to see that. Yeah. Hitesh, thank you so much for all your time. Uh, really enjoyed this. Thanks. Thanks. Appreciate it. it.